Hello, this is Rick Millensaw, and welcome to Voices of Resilience, a series focusing on people's life journeys through trauma and adversity to resilience and leadership. I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time, as I have here today a, a great friend, a business colleague, a man I greatly admire, Steve O'Leary. Steve changed his life, sold his business, and altered all of his priorities when he learned of the early onset of Alzheimer's for his wife of over 40 years, Patty. And then after losing Patty, just over three years ago, he's dedicated his life to this issue. He's mentored many people through their own caregiving process. He is, for me, the highest example of strength and resilience. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Now, the last time I saw you, Karen and I saw you, with your wonderful bride, Ruth, was at the Shipyard Winter Party in December, wasn't it? I think that's correct. Yeah, I don't think either of us imagined that we weren't gonna see each other again. That was, of course, before this pandemic. And so I guess I just wanna start by asking you, how you doing? How's it going? Doing great. Um, you know, I was, I, I may have told you, I, I, found, I feel like I found a new rhythm. It's like, uh, instead of charging, you know, ahead, like I've been doing for over 50 years, it's like, okay, take a breath, relax. It's okay to go out for a coffee. It's okay, you know, if you don't have telephone calls backed up one right after another or Zoom calls now. So yeah, my life is very, very good. And you know, our relationship got stronger as a result of it. So yeah, life is good. I guess if you don't mind, I, I think I want to start at the beginning and the beginning that matters. So, you know, when you met Patty and, and began this wonderful partnership together. Wow, uh, you take me back. Um, yeah, I met Patty when we were freshmen in college, um, a million years ago. And uh, this beautiful redheaded lady walked down the stairs at her dorm room, and I went, my heart started, you know, pitter pattering, and that was the beginning. And uh, we got married while we were in college and uh, moved to New York City and uh, built a life together there for 12 years. And then, uh, had our children in New York. They're all New Yorkers, proud New Yorkers, they say. And uh, then, uh, then we moved back to California and started raising them really out in California. And, uh, and then, you know, our life evolved. Patty became my partner in my business. Uh, she was not only my married wife, but she was a business partner. She was the foundation in terms of the financial underpinning of the company, especially in the beginning. So, you know, sometimes those things don't work out. Sometimes you can't work that closely together. But for us, it was great. Um, so I was blessed to have this. I call her the rock in my life. I'm the guy who uh, goes up and down all the time. And she was the one who was constant and calm. You said you were able to have a pretty good balance of life because I know when you're an entrepreneur, it, it is difficult sometimes raising a family and a business and, and building a business, isn't it? Yeah, I think you have to make some personal sacrifices. I, I chose to make, I, I, we were doing a lot of field work um, with these clients. In fact, we built a reputation with 
the clients that we were, you know, excellent in the field in terms of working directly with the franchisees. And so I was on the road, you know, literally three weeks out of every four, but I got into a pattern of, of stealing my own time. So I would leave on a Sunday night on the red eye and fly to who knows where, work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, probably two or three different cities, maybe Thursday, and then fly home, be home Friday or Saturday, and then fly out again on a Sunday night on a red eye. I got very, very good at taking red eyes. Back in those days, Rick, I was an incredibly driven person. I've changed a great deal through Patty's illness and my finding the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up being a driven person and then that carried over into building the agency. Not that I didn't care about people, I did, but my own personal drive, you know, caused me to, to make those kind of personal sacrifices. Do you think you could have built a business without that attitude? Hard to say, you know, that's a good question. I really never thought about it. Um, um, yeah, I probably, um, you know, it's easy to have, uh, you know, 2020 vision now and look back. Um, I certainly would have done a few things differently. So eventually Patty joined you at the agency or she was pretty early on? Yeah, actually she was the first associate of O'Leary and Associates. That's the way we started. And she worked part-time um, and took care of the kids. She worked half days. And, uh, and then, then she actually put herself through an accounting course and uh, started to take on more financial responsibilities. The agency got bigger and bigger. And uh, so, yeah, she was with me from the very beginning. Yeah, you know, I think Patty, um, she, she took a lot of pride. I think that was one of the things that, you know, when I look back at our our relationship, you know, and the wonderful times we had together. One of the things I was happiest about was the, the joy that she had in the work that she did. Um, she, she was the go-to person. If somebody had a personal issue or a problem, you know, go speak to mom. That wasn't her nickname, but that's how people thought of her. And, you know, I think that that, that just made her feel good. She felt like she was helping people all the time. And uh, so she was great at personnel. She was very good at finance. Eventually, we hired a CFO. But, uh, you know, it was just a, she had a real role, and she treasured that until, until uh, unfortunately, she couldn't, can, couldn't continue. So what happened? Did this happen slowly? Did you notice it? How did it become yeah. apparent? Um, you know, I get sad about it, Rick. Um, I, I didn't see the signs. Um, Patty would come to me and say, you know, we need to hire somebody else. We need, we need more people. And I go, well, wait a minute. We have a few less people and, you know, you're doing less in this area. Why do we need more people? Go talk to, she reported to the CFO at that point. And uh, actually the signs were there. She was having a difficult time with numbers. She was having a difficult time. And she would describe it to me as she just was having a hard time um, not keeping up, uh, but just uh, she felt like she needed help. And so being totally oblivious, which I'm not happy about, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't really probe that any further. And eventually uh, the CFO and one of my partners came and said, you know, this problem is getting to the point where, you know, the mistakes that Patty were making were causing real issues. And uh, so unfortunately I had to, to actually tell my wife she could no longer work at this company. Um, Definitely one of them. There are many sad days in dealing with Alzheimer's, but that was certainly the beginning. 
she did not realize then? She knew she had issues, I think. Um, but the problem with that disease, and she dealt with it better than most, uh, is you try and avoid um, recognizing your feelings. You try and cover them up. Uh, you know something's wrong, but you don't know what it is. And so you try and you figure out ways to cope. Uh, and, uh, and that's what she was doing at that time. I know neither of us are medical professionals, um, but you certainly have been focused on this. So how would you explain Alzheimer's? Well, I'd, I'd call it an insidious disease. Um, the, the problem with the disease is, is that it, it takes 20 to 30 years in that range before the signs of the disease actually show up. And so at that point, it's very difficult, and that's why there hasn't been a cure developed, to really offset what's been building for, for 15 to 20 years. The, these buildups of proteins, tau we call them in the brain, inhibit the synapses from working in the brain, and that's what starts the deterioration. But it takes a while for people to notice it. So by the time you notice it, it's already too far gone. So um, that's what's insidious about it. When, when you really start to deal with it, it's, I hate to say it, but it's, it's a foregone conclusion. You know, there isn't a cure. I work with many uh, guys whose wives have this disease, and uh, I hear their stories. And uh, I, I think back about Patty and how brave she was. And uh, how she was willing to get tested how she was willing to accept the disease, how when she knows she had the disease, she was trying to figure out ways to contribute to the disease after she passed away from it. So um, her recognition of dealing with the disease was something to inspire others, certainly inspired me. For me, um, you know, I, uh, you're a successful business person. You think that you can handle any problem. Uh, you think you can control any situation, and there is no control. Um, you start to realize that you aren't in control anymore. And it's only in that process that I, I, I found a different way. You know, I, 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 was, I opened myself up. I opened myself up to the Lord. Um, I wasn't a religious person before then. I opened myself up to friends who became counselors, advisors. Um, by allowing myself to let other people into my life to assist me to open myself up to their help, um, I was able to make it through. And um, there are so many times that you go through with this disease that you feel like you're lost. You feel like uh, you feel huge levels of guilt. And uh, you realize that you're really doing everything you can, but that's not how you feel in the moment. Did that take a long time to have that? I'll call transformation. Um, you know, I, I, I think I was blessed in the sense that we started to realize that we needed a, a foundation in our lives uh, through church. Patty had always been a believer. I had not. And uh, so we started going to church together as a, as a thing for us to find to do together. We got involved in homeless outreach together. And I got very close to the priest at uh, this Episcopalian church. So that was the beginning, you know. I could go to him and 
and I could bear my soul. And then once I started that process, so, you know, um, I, for me, I, I see it in other guys that they, they go through denial. Um, they try and fight against the acceptance of this disease. And it only causes greater stress. For me, I was able to, to buy into the fact that, you know, I was doing everything I could and through the help of others, deal with it on an ongoing basis. I don't think I knew that. So it really was together you started to deal with it. Together you started to change your life. Yeah, I'll never forget the time, Patty. Uh, we were in uh, Palm Desert uh, meeting a bunch of her sorority sisters. She had an incredible group of friends from college. And I guess six or seven of them were there. And we went out there and and one night... Granted, we had a glass of wine, but uh, she stands up in front of the whole group. I had no idea she was going to do this. It stands up and announces to the group that she has Alzheimer's mm. and that, you know, it's going to be tough and, you know, she's going to forget things and that she's going to need people's help. I, I just, I was just so blown away and all her friends broke into tears and hugged her. It was just one of those amazing times. But this strength that this woman had to deal with the disease was pretty amazing. And that was a great moment and also where she was aware and able to communicate that way. And Yeah, she made commitments to donate her brain early on. She made commitments to do uh, what's called spinal taps, which are not easy to do, but she donated those. They're, they're very, very valuable in, the, in Alzheimer's disease research. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, that that's kind of how I got connected. Through Patty, I found my mission in life, which was to help others through the Lord. And, uh, you know, and I, I donate my time all over the place now, helping people um, deal with all sorts of, of problems, but particularly with Alzheimer's. Was it a hard change for you? I think it was gradual. Um, you know, the, the disease uh, can, and moves in stages, we call them drops, but, uh, but basically, um, you know, I was able to handle it with help at home. And, um, and she and I, you know, were able to do things for quite a while. And then when it became clear that there really wasn't, I was going to have to dedicate a great deal more time. Um, that's when I decided it was time to get out of the agency on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's when I sought you out and, and you were kind enough to make it an offer and, uh, and we, we went into business together. You know, folks who are listening should know that the O'Leary company is handles and now the shipyard handles in and out burger co-op financial services and really some of the, some great brands in the country over the years. You know, I just wondered or there had to be days when, you know, that, that could have been difficult for you. You know, I think there's a, um, one of the things I've learned in my, in my understanding with the Lord is there's a, a huge factor of pride in your life. Um, you know, we're ego people, especially if you've been successful. And, uh, and so uh, finding a new way to serve, finding a new way to feel prideful or to feel that you're making a, a contribution, once you start to be able to make that transition, uh, it's easier to uh, 
to kind of not be in charge, to not have the glamour job, to not have, you know, all the recognition. Uh, yeah, there are moments when you still wish you were in control. So again, for me, uh, I really feel, uh, I've always felt the Lord's hand on my side saying, hey, you know, um, you take what you know as skills right now and find a way to use those to help others. And so, uh, you know, I've been working for a better half, better, better half, four and a half, five years now doing that. And it's been very, very gratifying. Well, that really resonates with me. And, um, and, and, and I think others that have changed their lives like this, whatever events led to it, uh, when you're in a high pressure business and the energy of it, uh, when you're in business at all, you sort of define yourself by the success of that business and you define yourself with the fruits of that business too. That's right. Yeah, success, well, I, I talk about this. There's a great book to read about this called The Second Mountain. And it's the transition from understanding that success isn't measured in things. It isn't measured in cars or homes. I mean, it certainly is in the first phase of your life. But really, success is measured in the contribution you make to others. And that transition to a moral life where you feel like you're giving of yourself to others is an incredibly gratifying experience. And it, it actually can feel even better than what you were doing that was so pride-oriented before. Was it liberating? Yeah, I think that's a good way. I mean, and I think one of the things that's true about that life is when you look at it, it's not only satisfying to the people. The, the hard part is you look at yourself and am I happy? But also you see through that the change that's happening in others. And when that happens, um, that, you know, that's, that's when magic occurs. You understand that your life is serving two purposes, your own and others. Did your relationship with the rest of the family change as well? Yeah, I, I think it helped it on a, on a series of levels. Um, I, I, one of the things I did reasonably well was uh, incorporate my kids into uh, what was going on with their mother. Um, and uh, it's, it, 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 you know, it's hard because they're dealing with a process in a totally different vein than you are. You're dealing with losing a, a lover and a, you know, and a wife and a companion. And they're dealing with losing their mother. There's nothing more emotional than that concept. And, of course, they're not living it day to day. How do you help them go through that process? Um, and I think we did a pretty good job. Um, of communicating frequently and often and talking both as gr as group and as well as individuals about the feelings. And then each of them has, has dealt with it after the passing in their own way. But, um, you know, I, I think that was one of the things that we did reasonably well. And as a result of that, um, it enhanced our relationship. And was it sort of a, a circle for you and Patty as well? A little bit, Rick. Um, it's hard, very, very hard to lose um, a relationship that you've had for 40 years with an individual um, where that individual recognizes you, shows you affection and love, and all of a sudden you're starting to lose that. They don't see you. They don't understand you. They don't know who you are. Um, so it's really, really hard um, to feel like a, you're a caregiver. Um, there are lots of very difficult decisions that you go through during that process, one of which is making a decision about home care and eventually changing from home care to a community care. Um, but, but 
Um, so, you know, I, I, I think one of the magical moments for me was as Patty was coming towards the end of her journey with the disease, our, there was always still a sparkle in her eye. She didn't know who I was. She couldn't speak. She was losing weight. But she would grab my hand, I would grab hers, and we would smile, and she would start to laugh. And that was it. You know, it was a minute or two minutes that we reconnected, and then she was gone again. But those moments, well, something I will always treasure. And, and so um, when you get to the end of it, um, you don't feel like there's much left. And uh, so it's very, very hard to kind of maintain a connection. Often people st don't visit anymore. They just can't do it anymore. They can't deal with the fact that there's a shell of a person left. Um, and so... Um, Fortunately for both of us, we were able to keep that connection through the end. Um, it wasn't significant, but it was still there. You probably felt isolated sometimes because friendships and people also have trouble dealing with it, don't they? Yeah. Um, you, you, and I, I, I really came to a point of view that I didn't, I did not become judgmental. I, I think that right. it's easy to look at people and say, well, you know, you were a really close friend of Patty's. How come you didn't come and visit her? You have to understand that everybody has to deal with the, that change in that person. One of her closest friends visited her every week, mm -hmm. all the time. She can handle it. Other no friends way. couldn't do it. And I, I, I didn't judge them. I, I think that's one of the things, maybe a part of the whole process is learning not to judge other people. Um, you know, and have a different perspective about other people in, in a totally different light. It is something you learn through trauma. And uh, frankly, uh, what we learn through some age, you know, I, yeah. I do think part of wisdom is, and, uh, you know, I have to catch myself all the time on this, you know, still having an organization to run is, uh, somebody has trouble, somebody misses a deadline, somebody's not quite on it and, uh, or acting, you know, not helpfully, let's say. <laughs> and, uh, you're absolutely right. You, you, you immediately want to assess what's going on right then. And almost always there's a story behind it, a human <laughs> story behind it, isn't there? Absolutely. So true. Yeah. Just like there was for you and, and, and just like there was for many of the people you've met. Now, you've talked a bit about, you know, religion and, and, and as you call it, the Lord. And, and so uh, in a way for you, well, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Why is that so important in this process? I think that when you're dealing with tra tragedy, it's easy to seek places for blame. I think it's easy to point to yourself sometimes. Like I said, I felt like I should have recognized Patty's issues earlier. I didn't. Um, it's easy to assign blame to other situations or other people. Um, and I think that the, the, the Lord um, causes you to reflect. My minister says to me, is he says, the journey that I'm on is amazing to him because it's, uh, it's all self-learned. It's, uh, you know, I've all, I've gone through it stage by stage and, um, so um, I, I, just, I feel like that whole period of understanding and acceptance of your own failures, 
your own sins, your own ability to understand. And at the same time, you can focus. You know how you're sitting there sometimes? I often talk about the voice in your shoulder that tells you how bad things are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you listen to that voice, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can get down real fast. One of my mm-hmm. friends referred to it being in the basement. Well, the reality is, is that you're not hearing the other voice, the other voice of all the things that you've done well. And I think that that's the balance in your life that you create. And uh, when you have that, then you get this perspective that's just so amazing. Um, and it, it allows you to accept trauma and, uh, and tragedy and understand that there's a purpose. Part of God's vision for you is that these are opportunities for you to learn. These are opportunities for you to grow. These aren't opportunities to create Sadness, sure, there's some of that, but what comes out of these opportunities is growth and transition and understanding and knowledge and, and, and something to share with others. So when you, when you make that twist, you are all of a sudden in a whole different space. And I don't go out and preach. I just talk about my story. And when I start talking about my story to people, they're kind of amazed that I found this. And uh, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. Yes, you are. And now um, you lost Patty in 2017, um, but you were able to build a new life, and uh, um, and 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 uh, married again, Ruth. You think Patty would be happy for you? Oh, I know she would be, as I would have been for her. Um, you know, I think if you have a great marriage, it's easy to make a transition to another great marriage. I think the hardest thing is probably through rough divorces and, and, the, mm-hmm. and, and the argumentation that goes along with all of that is very difficult to find happiness, maybe harder to find happiness. I, I've been blessed with somebody who also lost her, her spouse. And, uh, and, and, you know, we talk often about our spouses and share stories often about our spouses as if it's healthy. You know, this was a big part of both of our lives. So, why wouldn't we talk about all the good times that we had with those people and share them in terms of making a new life together? So, yeah, I, I've been, I, I've known Ruth for over 30 years. Um, her, she has a son named Ryan. My Ryan and her Ryan played baseball together, but we hadn't seen each other for 30 years. And she came to the memorial service for Patty and a spark happened. And, you know, we, we started to see each other. And fortunately we found love. So you talk about many other, you said, I think you said men or many, I did, you did. You talked about other men that you uh, uh, work with and uh, uh, talk with that are going through today or have gone through similar experiences. Is that right? That's correct. We have a, we call it our men's group, uh, men's caregiver group. And uh, we formed it five years ago. Um, I was at a point where, I had to make a decision about placing Patty in a community and I just couldn't handle the care anymore. It wasn't a financial decision. It was just the stress in my life at that point was not working, but choosing to no longer care for your wife is like (laughs) the guilt you feel is enormous. So I sought out some other people who had made that decision uh, and they were wonderful incredibly helpful during that time frame. And I invited them to lunch and 
out of that, we, we created a men's group. So it's been going for over five years and, uh, and guys have come and gone and many of us have lost our wives through the process, but um, new people join and they benefit from that learning, that opportunity. And I, I, I've talked to the people at the Alzheimer's Association. There's nothing like being able to talk to somebody who's been in your shoes. And it's different than talking to a wife who's dealing with her husband than dealing with a husband who's dealing with his wife's illness. It's just different. Or dealing with children who are having to deal with their parents. Totally different. I mean, you understand the disease, but you don't have the same perspective. You're leading the group. Yeah, I'm leading the group. Um, I'm kind of, you know, scheduling the meetings. And anyway, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm the leader. Um, but occasionally it's tough because all of a sudden I'm back there, you know, I'm listening to their story and all of a sudden I come out of it and it's been really fruitful for them, but I'm, I'm back in the moment again. And it's, uh, it takes me a couple hours to kind of get back. Uh, But yeah, but we're incredibly valuable to those guys because we've been there. Um, So when we say, Hey, you know, the grief you're going to feel, we, we call it grief relief. You're torn between the issue of the grief you're feeling at the loss of a loved one, somebody who mattered that so much in your life, but also the relief that they're no longer dealing with the disease. And to some degree, you're not dealing with the disease anymore. So it's, a, it's an interesting, right. you know, problem to deal, to work your way through. You know, for one of the topics is, uh, another woman in your life, you know, even either before your wife passes, because right. that can happen, or after your wife passes, you know, for some people, that's totally, you know, you know, something you would never consider. And, and many people would be judgmental about that issue. And nobody judges anybody on that issue. It's, you know, it's your journey. You know, how are you coping with it? What can we do to help you with your journey? So there are no wrong decisions. There's just a question of, you know, getting as much good advice as you can. That's well said. No matter how wonderful in friendships or relationships they may have, it really does take someone walking close to your shoes to really understand and, 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 and truly be helpful. But even in that group session, Rick, it's the willingness to open yourself up to hearing other people talk. I think that you can close down, particularly men can close down to a point where they're so unwilling to hear another message. And when they hear it, they fight against it instead of opening themselves. I actually do a, I stand up and I throw my arms wide and I say, this is the posture you need to have. You need to allow all of this to enter your life, the good and the bad, because out of that process, but the more you close yourself down to, to information and other people's assistance, the more difficult the process is going to be. And you said especially men, and that's probably not just being open to others, but also being open yourself to be able to talk truthfully about yourself or to be able to talk about your vulnerabilities. I think guys have a hard time admitting that they're wrong. I think have, guys have been in control, at least in our generation for a long period of time. And therefore it's hard to make this transition to, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm no longer in control. I need the advice and help and assistance of other people. 
talking to a psychiatrist? Are you crazy? <laughs> Literally. Sorry for the pun. No, right. <laughs> but that's how some people think. I don't need that help. I'm strong. I've been taught to be strong. Yeah, I've been taught to be, you know, I can handle anything. And uh, yeah, uh, to a point maybe. But in reality, uh, and I, you know, one of the things that happens in this disease, if you're not careful, is, is that it can get you. It can because it puts so much stress on you hmm. that you can die before your wife does. Happens. Now, you're also involved with some organizations that are studying this and working with it. Uh, yes. Uh, UCI Mind, is that what it's called? Can you yeah, tell us UC, about that? Yeah, UCI Mind is University of California at Irvine. Mind stands for Memory Impairment and Neurological Disorders. So there are 31 of these around the country. They are called ADRCs. Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, ADRC. And most of their funding comes from NIH, the National Institute of Health. But they're basically doing work to try and find a cure or find ways to prevent the disease. And this organization been around for about 25 years, but really had no awareness in the local community, had difficulty with individual fundraising. And so I I became the uh, pro bono marketing director for the organization and found a pro bono PR firm and a pro bono creative director and copywriters and website designers and, and basically helped them start to market themselves more successfully. And, um, and I've learned the value of doing that for non-for-profit organizations. This is one of them. So I, that's my main focus, but I do work for the University of Oregon in a similar capacity. I do work for something called Orange County Human Relations in the same capacity. I, I, I get calls frequently with saying, hey, uh, I heard you do this. Can you come and take a look at what we're doing? And I have a, I, I have a concept, which is I, I provide them with an overview. And then I say, okay, you guys drive the bus, you know, um, yeah, I mean, is, 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 is research making progress? Are we making progress yeah. against this disease? Well, at, at the one that I'm involved in, we've had, you know, there's lots of ongoing clinical trials. That's ultimately the way change happens in medicine is through clinical trials. It takes a long time. Uh, you have to test it at varying levels, ultimately, you know, with thousands of people as a part of the process. And with the concentration in, in Alzheimer's has all been in the cure level. And they've come to the conclusion after 25 years that, yes, continue to work in the area, but we have to move towards prevention. So one of the projects that got started to four years ago, uh, a donor, actually one of the guys in my men's caregiver group, gave startup capital. You know, for us business people, we understand that idea. You know, uh, money to get a project off the ground, a test project using stem cells and uh, was so successful that it became a federally funded project to the tune of $13 million now on an annual basis. Well, that, that's great to hear that there's hope. Yeah. I mean, I, how else can you think about it? I mean, I, I know there was a point in time with Patty that I knew there was no solution, but I'm looking at the solutions for my children and my children's children. So, you know, this disease isn't going away. It's only getting bigger. And it unfortunately attacks women harder than it does men. That's another whole discussion. But it's just, uh, you know, you've got to invest even on a small scale, every kind of contribution. Have any advice for those that are going through this right now? 
with a loved one, a parent, a spouse. You mean, uh, I think, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. My, my, my priest, Father Rob, is dealing with his parents, and uh, they're both ill. And uh, I said, you know, try to take the emotion out of it. You know, every day you see the deterioration and the loss. Think of it as a job. It's a terrible, you know, crass way to describe it. But, but unfortunately, in order for you to get through the process and do as good a job, as, do as well as you possibly can, if you're always dealing with it emotionally, you're not going to be successful. And the way I got through that was by letting other people in. I, I let the emotion out. You know, we use the term venting. Talk through the problems and the fears and the hurt and the anxiety you're having. And in the process of that, you will find solutions. And uh, so I, I think that that's the biggest piece of advice I can give is, uh, is don't hold it in. Let it out, baby. Let it out. That's great advice. Let it out. Steve O'Leary, thank you so much. This is a wonderful story of resilience but also a, a, a sharing and being brave enough to share this story and this whole journey. There are going to be many, many people uh, that relate to this and um, are going to find this very helpful. And uh, you inspire us all. Thank you so much, Steve. Well, thank you for asking me, and I hope in some small way I can help others. Thank you. Steve O'Leary is the founder of O'Leary & Partners, one of Southern California's leading ad agencies, now a part of the shipyard. UCI Mind at the University of California, Irvine, is one of the nation's leading research centers for aging and dementia. For more information on UCI Mind, visit mind.uci.edu. This is our 10th episode of Voices of Resilience, a series dedicated to life stories on navigating trauma and finding resilience and leadership. To find all of our episodes, visit VoicesOfResiliencePodcast.com or look us up on Spotify, Google, or Apple Play. Voices of Resilience is created by the marketing engineers of the shipyard in collaboration with the Ohio State University Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. Many thanks to our producers, Mike Long, Kate Masters, Coop Studios, and my favorite, Karen Millenthal. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>